Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. That was almost Carmen-ish. It was, it, you know, I'm getting closer, Paul closer. Perot. I, I was practicing a little bit at home. I don't have that, that sort of extra ring, that little bit of energy to my yeah, voice yeah. that can really bring but that to getting life. getting close. Getting close. Well, three days into this, uh, substituting for Carmen LaBerge. It's been delightful to be back in studio with you. Obviously, I'm Peter Kapsner. You're Paul Perot. And this is Mornings with Carmen. Carmen with a well-deserved vacation, but so fun to be with you in the studio, all of the guests that you guys bring on to talk about life in God's kingdom in so many different and important ways, especially in light of what's going on in our country and, and the many events that seem to sort of just keep pressing in on us each day. Love being with the listeners all over the country. It's been a great three days with you. Mm-hmm. And But even with all that pressure on us, it's again that time. We hope when we're starting off in the morning, let's focus on God. Absolutely. Let's focus on the kingdom. Let's focus on his kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yesterday, the, our final guest of the morning was the Reverend Dr. Raleigh Washington yeah. joined us. And again, oh, he was great. Oh, he's been around more blocks than I will ever probably see in my life in these racial conversations, having been an inner city pastor for about 20 years in the midst of really broken Chicago and, and mm-hmm. having an integrated church of white people and black people trying to bring together reconciliation, the vice president of reconciliation, and then the president of Promise Keepers overall, right. and, and still working in that. And as we were talking yesterday uh, about some different things with Black Lives matter and and where he stood on that movement uh, he did text me yesterday late morning early afternoon and he wanted to at least share this with you and the rest of our listeners right. about where he's coming from with this he said peter please tell your producer so i'm telling you right now <laughs> paul uh, to tell all so we'll do this together mm-hmm. that i do not endorse black lives matter they hijacked a phrase that appeals to millennials the organization must be rejected and exposed it has raised nearly a billion bucks on the hype of young adults globally their wealth and their power make them dangerous. And I thought that was an interesting perspective from Raleigh Mm -hmm. because he understands the sentiment that, of course, in this moment, there needs to be an emphasis and a focus on the plight and and the oppression of black people in our country. But that doesn't mean that we have to align ourselves with a given political movement related to it. Exactly. And and it's not just a matter of uh, African-Americans, too, although that is the big concern right now, because, yes, there are systemic issues where a lot of people might call it soft uh, oppression, but right. it's still there because, okay, you, you, you have that sense sometimes when you're uh, looking at a tall black gentleman. Right. And a lot of people get scared because he's a big black guy. And yet I can see a tall white guy not have that same. Yes. It, it's something embedded in our culture. It's been reinforced by media. It's been reinforced by Stereotype. It absolutely has been. And that is something that needs to be addressed because from that stereotype and from that, other things have come about deeper and darker. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved what Raleigh's admonition was then at the end of it where he said there really is an opportunity here, but it isn't in the political movements of our day, whether they be the Republicans or the Democrats or Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter, as we've said. 
He said it's it's on the church. Yeah. It's on raising up the leadership and exactly. the shepherds of the people. And part of where we're going to start this morning as we welcome Daryl Crouch into the show here in just a moment is that that can be sometimes a tricky proposition because the church isn't always acting as the church should. And when you see some of the headlines coming out, it's not going to be a racial conversation that Daryl and I will have in just a minute, but it will be about some of the troubling ways women have been treated in the church. Right. And especially in current and next generation, the church begins to lose credibility in that. So hopefully in this morning show, we can uh, we can point ourselves back towards God, recognize that the church is a beautiful place filled with flaws, but can we find hope for the future in that? And that's where we're going to start with Daryl Crouch here in just a moment. So welcome everybody to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for the day here on the 24th of June. Pastor Daryl Crouch, how did we come on James Taylor here for uh, for the music choice? I, I love James Taylor. I haven't heard uh, James for probably about 15 years, I'm guessing. Why wouldn't we start with James Taylor? Well, I, I mean, guess I'm maybe that's sure. a better question. <laughs> I mean, these are days we need a little bit of James Taylor. We do. For sure. We do <laughs> indeed. Well, that's the voice of Pastor Daryl Crouch joining us this morning. And uh, Daryl and I are going to chat a little bit about uh, a blog that you released about how to look at a woman. And uh, Daryl, this is pretty timely given some of the events in the church that we've seen recently behind the scenes. Some of the comments, incredibly inappropriate comments made about a, a pretty prominent female teacher of the Bible here in our culture, Amy, Bur- Amy Bird. So if our listeners have haven't heard about what's happening. Why don't you give us a sense of what's going on? Well, sure. I think uh, she's uh, written some things and said some things that have uh, pr- provoked and encouraged and and helped us take some steps forward. Um, and then uh, in a uh, in a an online uh, meeting, some gentlemen made some or some men made some disparaging comments that went public and um, about her, about women in general. And I think exposed some things that many women have been very aware of for a long time. Uh, a lot of folks in my church family, for example, don't really know Amy Bird. A lot of us who are in uh, social media and kind of uh, in this space, we, we're familiar with her. But a lot of our regular Joe and Jill church members don't know her, but they all understand, at least for the most part, uh, the women understand that this is a real problem. And um, that that there are uh, there's a view of women that do not reflect uh, a biblical view of manhood and womanhood that don't view uh, don't uh, look through the lenses of the gospel that don't reflect the character of Jesus as he as we just watch him in the gospels interact with women and elevate women in an era that was um, very much devaluing women so we just see a, a large gap and sometimes that gap. Uh, unfortunately, it comes from people who hold the Bible uh, very tightly and are claimed to and um, uh, have um, a, a, a sense that they, their righteousness is, you know, is uh, more mature than someone else's and who would say that we're orthodox or we're conservative or we're a complementarian. Um, and those folks have uh, often been the ones who have been most offensive uh, in their daily practice of how they speak of women and how they uh, treat women and uh, and how they um, interact with women in a sense in a leadership role um, and so I think some things that were exposed on social media were not so although a lot of folks may not you know track you know know all about that 
uh, most women uh, are not surprised. Yeah, some of the comments were quite troubling. She posted them on uh, her Facebook page about Mm -hmm. what was going on behind the scenes in, in an Orthodox Presbyterian denomination. And again, we can mention one denomination, but I think we can safely say that we could probably substitute any denomination for that particular phrase. And and some of the troubling phrases that were there was, uh, quote, I wish her husband loved her enough to tell her to shut up, or why can't these women just take off their shoes and make us some sandwiches? And it goes on from there. It gets increasingly worse. This kind of thing, Daryl, I mean, when the the church is needing to be raised up, I mean, if we ever had a national moment in which the church needs to be able to shine a beautiful witness of Jesus's kingdom into this world, this just sets things back, right? It really does. And and I think it reveals, too, that um, some of the things that we say uh, publicly um, from the pulpit, for example, um, when they're not lived out privately, we, that's where we lose our salt. That's where we lose the influence of the light of the gospel. And so when we look around and we scream at the darkness, we scream at the injustices that are around us, and then we, then we un, kind of uh, peel back the onion of our own heart and find out, wait a minute, maybe the problem is not out there. Maybe, maybe the problem is not in the public square. Maybe the problem is not in uh, the White House or the, the State House or the schoolhouse, maybe the problem is in my house. Mm. And one of the questions, and I don't know if this is just my pastor's heart or just just my personal experience with uh, families, but um, if you say that publicly online, if you use those, those words online and, in a, and with other people, can you imagine what kind of rhetoric is taking place in the home yeah. when the doors are shut? And so my I'm grieved for 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 wives, for uh, daughters, uh, for sons who grow up in a home uh, with that uh, kind of rhetoric and that kind of attitude toward toward females. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things, Daryl, I've had the sort of the sacred privilege, I guess I would use the phrase, in teaching a sexuality class for young people here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul the last seven years is that they have an opportunity to turn in a paper that's a reflective paper, and it talks about what their experience was in the life of the church, maybe in their home. And and it takes my breath away every semester among the 30 students or so that I might be teaching when they decide that they're willing to crack open and and, and risk some of that narrative, some of that story. The the patterns were far more pervasive than I would have guessed along these lines. It really took my breath away. And yet there is hope, but oh, wow, I don't think that I understood the depth of the issue that is happening behind the scenes. And I I think that's a wonderful observation. The Many of us go about our lives and we just don't stop. And so while this is a and and we don't stop and notice and take note, while this is a terrible moment, uh, the Amy Bird situation, what she's exposed um, for all of us, I think it's an important moment. I was having a conversation with my wife about it yesterday, uh, and it's really the first time we've had this kind of discussion in, I don't know, many weeks or months. Uh, But uh, she was not there's just not a surprise that this is a problem. Uh, many women in the evangelical church uh, feel this, even in the way that uh, they're um, addressed, uh, the words that are used to, to talk about them and to them. Um, it uh, can be, be, be very uh, disparaging. The patriarchal uh, sense is um, uh, systems are incredibly oppressive. And so sometimes I think we confuse being a biblical complementarian with a patriarchal system that oppresses Mm. and disparages women. And those things are not the same. 
Yeah, that's such an important point, Daryl. Boy, I'd love to mine that out a little bit more with you. We've got to take a short break sure. here. and But when we come back, there is some hope in this, too. And it's part of what you mm-hmm. released in your blog uh, post about how we can begin to change the way that we view the situation, and especially how we can invite God into the midst of this and allow us mm-hmm. perhaps to see women in the world the way that he does and where the hope of healing might come from that. So more to come. Stay with us on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for the day, and we're having a conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch about views of women and how maybe we can find some redemption and hope. But before we go back to that, Daryl, during the break, we were chatting about baseball. I didn't realize how much of a baseball fan you are now that it's coming back here for for a good 60-game stretch. So tell us more, Daryl. I'm not a baseball fan. I've tried to be because I'm American and who doesn't like baseball, but I've tried. And I'm just telling you, if we would just start in October with the World Series, that's the only time most of us care, um, then that would be awesome. I love it. Be awesome. I have a feeling many listeners uh, share that sentiment uh, in that, Daryl. Well, well, I, I have a lot of friends who don't, and so it's an ongoing conversation. But, um, yeah. A buddy of mine said he loves to watch 162 games a year, and I told him he could go to Mars three times. Uh, and still have time left over uh, trying to watch that much baseball. Oh, I love it. That's great. Well, I appreciate you joining us as you do regularly on the show, and especially some of the perspective that we need in this moment uh, related to how some of these comments that were said in private came out in public about the treatment of women. And you wrote this blog. Uh, where can listeners find the blog? And then let's talk through it a little bit. Yeah, it's at crosstide.org. I just try to uh, write every now and then for therapy and uh, hopefully add a little bit of value to uh, to folks who might read. But uh, it's at crosstide.org, uh, crosstide like you're tied to a cross, but uh, C-R-O-S-S-T-I-E-D uh, dot org. I love it. And part of what you pull out and, and tease out in this blog is that to, to recognize women as made in the image of God, that the Imago Dei, to be able to perhaps see women the way that God might see them, and, and to ask for that in a person's life, well, what are some of the resulting effects? What might happen in our lives if we begin to head in that direction towards, towards a much more ordered view of men and women together? Sure, and I think it's important. Um, I mean, we, we understand that we have eyes and we can appreciate beauty. So sometimes I think the, the man in the pew coming to church, trying to raise his family, he's not sure what to do with this conversation because he sees beauty in another woman. And that's perfectly good. And God created us with distinctions that are appropriate and, and attractive. And, and that's not a bad thing. Um, and, but at the same time, when we look at another person, we should first see an image bearer. We should first see someone who is valuable to God. Uh, we should first see someone who is a potential, if not a sister in Christ, someone who Jesus died for in order to graft her in into the fellowship, you know, into the family of God. And so I think as we view view other women in this case as fellow image bearers, then we will begin to relate to them in a way that shows mutual respect and kindness, not in a uh, or a, a a patronizing kind of way, not in a demeaning kind of way, but in a way that elevates them and says, listen, we're in this thing together. And uh, I value you not just for what you look like, not just for your utilitarian purposes, but uh, for who you are as a fellow image bearer. I think that's such an important point, Daryl, in terms of the way we need to view women. And yet you can't just make that happen, right? It's not something that I can just will to happen. It really takes a, a sort of a humble heart of, of submission to God to say, help me see the women 
in the world, or in, in this case, and help me see the men in the world, the way that you see them. Help me see the image bearing reality because it isn't that we haven't been taught about sexuality. It is it's that our teachers have been so rubbish that throughout this time, our teachers have been pornography. Our teachers have been mm-hmm. locker room conversations. Our teachers have, have been conversations with friends and, and so many different inappropriate ways. So we have been taught, but to be untaught and retaught is a process that requires a, quite a bit of formation where God intersects with our lives. And so tell our listeners a little just about that, about the process of learning to see the way that God sees. It, it may not happen overnight. It won't happen overnight, but I do think repentance can happen in a moment. Mm. I do think we have to come to a moment where we say, I've been wrong, and I have, uh, I have, I have gaps. I think it's important, and, I, and I, again, I didn't make this up. I'm sure I, I found it some, from some other person, but that, that we're, our sinfulness blinds us to our own sin. We, mm. we have blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots that we cannot see. And so our sinfulness does that. So I think we have to enter into some conversations with some trusted uh, uh, Christian women to say, what, what do you see in the way that you, you, in your experience, what does that look like in this family? If, if we're uh, married and have kids, what does this look like in our family? What does this look like in our church family? How do you see women treated as a part of our local church? What does that look like? I can't be responsible for everything, but I can be responsible for me, and I can be responsible for the things I say in private and uh, the things I say in public, and I'm responsible for those things. And uh, so I think a posture of humility would go a long way as, as men step into this and say, you know, I'm, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be faithful to his word. I want to be faithful in my role as a husband and as a father. And, and I know there's spiritual leadership that goes with that. And I, and, and I, and, but sometimes what I've seen as leadership has been very oppressive. What I've seen from other Christian leaders has been um, sinful. And so I don't want to be that. So can you help me? And we can enter into this conversation rather than being what seems to be, and I know the online environment is just naturally defensive and uh, lacks a, a lot of texture. But uh, for us to sit down face to face with people that we love and respect and that love us and say, how can I get better? And uh, so the differences between men and women, you know, those are legitimate. But uh, that doesn't mean that um, one is better than the other or that I have a right as a man to to treat a woman uh, in a way that's less than I would another man or, or whatever. So I, th- I think just having that conversation uh, goes a long way in um, humbling ourselves and then making progress in our spheres of influence. But acknowledging that we've sinned um, is the beginning of all of this. Mm, Darrell, we have just a couple minutes left here. From your pastoral heart, uh, could you speak a little bit to how important it is to not just teach our children then about these things, but that we really grow in authentic modeling in the home about the way that the male and female treat each other in the home is really going to matter for teaching uh, our, our kids about how to see one another? Yeah, we don't, <clears throat> we, don't, we don't come up in a vacuum. We really are formed by our mother and father and the family environment that we're in. And certainly today, the family environment is really ground zero, and it's and it's in many cases a disaster, Peter. And so many kids are coming up, and they're not seeing uh, a mom and a dad who are loving each other and faithful to each other, and taking them to church and opening their Bible or talking about spiritual things together. And so I think as a pastor, I I, I feel that I know that that's where 
It really is. We can do some other really good things in the community and our churches can create pathways for leadership and development and all the rest. But if moms and dads don't make a decision to engage the, in this in, a, in an appropriate way, then, then we're going to have a, a tough go. But for men to say to their children, listen, kids, uh, Jesus is my Lord, and I don't always live that out. And so I want uh, this family to reflect something that's going to, uh, to, to impact you forever and uh, change the trajectory of your life in the way that you love your, your wife one day or your husband one day. And so um, we're going to do this together. So I just think that kind of transparency, that kind of uh, authenticity, um, and then living that out. Uh, when you are in the locker room or when you are at the lunch table with your buddies uh, and a group of ladies come in, whatever that may be, whatever those dynamics, that we live this out faithfully and we do live our lives uh, as men who are above reproach. You know, the, the list of spiritual qualifications isn't just for elders and deacons. Yeah. It, it's the expectation of Christian gentlemen. I love it, Daryl. It's great stuff. Remind our listeners again one more time where they can go to read your blog. It's very helpful. Yeah, crosstide.org. Love it. And Daryl, uh, I keep your phone off on July 23rd or 24th because I'm going to be blowing it up all day with texts inviting you to watch the baseball <laughs> season with me. <laughs> I'll celebrate with you. I appreciate that. Hey, great stuff. Have a great day, Daryl. Thanks so all much. Right, thanks. Take a short break here for some bottom of the hour news. And when we come back in the second half of this hour, we'll be joined by Hunter Baker. And I'm looking forward to this conversation because I'm going to ask Hunter how to, how to understand what's happening with the statues in our country and pulling them down or keeping them upright. I think Hunter's going to have some great, great perspective on that. So stay with us here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner for the day. Paul Perot, that is what, 1908 that was recorded? Edward Meeker from 1908. Yes, they did have recordings back then. That is pretty remarkable right there. I understand that we'll be probably singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game from our sofa with empty stadiums there, but at least some measure of normalcy returning in the sense that baseball is coming back. That's right. Late uh, July, what date is it? Yeah, the 23rd or the 24th. It's going to be a 60-game sprint through the season. But uh, again, these these practices and these rituals that, that we have as a country, and again, they're diversions, I get it. Baseball is not the heart of God's kingdom no, by any stretch, no. but it's nice to share some time together with other people you who do enjoy it. might get a few people who would kick, uh, kick back on that one there. What? Baseball's yeah. not the heart of the kingdom? But anyway. Yeah, yeah. indeed, indeed. Well, when I'm back in Carmen's show as a guest, we'll definitely have to be talking about baseball at that oh, point, sure, uh, sure. but that's probably enough uh, baseball <laughs> for the morning for our listeners that maybe like Daryl Croucher are rolling their eyes at the idea that baseball is coming back. We'll be back here in a few minutes with more on Mornings with Carmen, and I'm looking forward to this conversation with Hunter Baker because I have been confused, a bit disturbed by watching the statues coming down. I also sympathize with the reasons why, and I'm sure Hunter will do a great job of talking through all of that with us. So stay with us here on Mornings with Carmen. When life gets hectic, it's tempting to give our kids the leftovers of our time, but our priorities should really be the other way around. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Hey, I'm right there with you. We're all busy people who carry the weight of a thousand different responsibilities. But your family needs your time more than they need anything else. And trust me on this. You'll never hear someone at the end of the day say, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. Or, if only my child would have taken more clarinet lessons. But you will hear parents say this, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. So don't live with regrets. Throw off the need to stay busy 24-7. 
and grab a hold of what truly matters most. Give your son and daughter your time. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. how to handle that we go from james taylor with the first guest and now beastie boys hunter is that correct we have beastie boys as your intro uh, you're right that's uh, that's the famous song sabotage sabotage well that probably is a bit of a commentary on our political situation right now as well so it's appropriate it yeah. is appropriate well thanks for joining us uh, you're listening to hunter baker from union university is the dean of college of arts and sciences there and an associate professor of political science and hunter i'm just going to sort of lob it out there uh, because I, i'm having a hard time figuring out how to understand what's going on with the pulling down of the statues in our country i can completely sympathize with it on one level uh, it's troubling on another i'm not even sure why i think it's troubling or why i'm sympathized just help us kind of walk through what's going on here well i mean the you have a a very highly activated sort of a movement for social justice um and Part of that, uh, to me, it's disturbing because I'm a, a scholar, is sort of the idea of uh, erasing some of this history that is felt to be racist. Um, <clears throat> now, on the on the one hand, uh, I understand that, uh, and certainly uh, there are some figures where I could where I could really imagine that I might I might upset people say this, but. Uh, but you take somebody like uh, Calhoun. Calhoun, you know, one of the very sort of premier American political voices, uh, but also pretty strong apologist for slavery. Uh, so not somebody who's merely caught up uh, in an existing system, but somebody who's, you know, thoroughly willing to defend that system. Uh, I could understand somebody kind of saying, hey, we need to we need to walk away from Calhoun or something like that. Uh, and I, but I would view him very differently than I would view somebody like uh, George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, uh, who are people who these are these are men who live uh, in the in the 18th century in Virginia, uh, who are farmers, and uh, and e there's this desire to kind of erase people like this from the history as well. And and I'm thinking to myself, listen. Put the shoe on the other foot. Uh, we we can have so much pride, uh, uh, self pride, uh, self elevation when we look at these people. Because, but I want to tell you, if you lived in that time, in that circumstance, the odds that you would hold slaves is very very high. Um, so there are there are ways in which these individuals did not rise above their times. There's there's ways in which they were men of their times. But there are also ways in which they rose above mm. uh, Washington in particular. Washington rose above his times uh, in such significant ways. And so uh, the language of the left is we want to devalorize these figures. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's wrong with regard to somebody like George Washington. Is it fair to maybe then in that in that movement of devalorizing, can we perhaps amend some of our history books to be able to say – 
both sides of the story. It doesn't have to be either or, right, Hunter? We can acknowledge the, the pain and the suffering of slavery that was going on that was just part of the ethos of the day while recognizing that there was good that came out, too. That, that's simply just the human condition, and that doesn't minimize at all the horrors of slavery. I'm not suggesting that in the least, but, but we're so right. polarized where we have to choose one side or the other, which is complete erasure or complete venerance of, and, and can we find somewhere in between? Well, and also it's just sort of a – I mean this may sound ridiculous to people, but but I think that it's unfair. Uh, and of course there would be a school of historians that would, that would say this with me. It's unfair to judge historical figures by our standards. Yeah. I mean you know, sort of my, my, uh, my quick little phrase for this is check your historical privilege. Uh, if, <laughs> if Washington lived today, don't worry. He'd be against slavery. Uh, if yeah. if Washington if Washington lived right now, uh, his attitudes about about race and and sex and everything else would be very much like ours, right? Uh, you know, it, it, so uh, we congratulate ourselves on having the same viewpoint uh, that basically everybody in our culture does. Uh, well, these people that we're castigating, they would feel the same way we do right now. Yeah, yeah. And as an observer of politics, and I'm sure you've seen more than your share of these kind of political fights and, and civil uh, discord in, in different camps around the world and throughout history. Is, is there a sense in which that when the pendulum begins to swing, there is almost a necessary catharsis of some sort before we can come back towards the middle and all work together towards perhaps a, a more hopeful future? Well, I hope that I hope that that's right. I mean, sometimes I uh, what what alarms me is so you take the act of of uh, pulling down a statue. The problem is is that that's that's essentially a form of mob justice. Mm. Uh, and and you know so we're not voting, we're not debating, uh, we're not having any kind of a process. We just have an angry group of people uh, who feels that they have enough righteous rage to justify it. And they they tear down these statues. Uh, I think that's wrong, and I think that's worrisome. Abraham Lincoln uh, has a uh, a great speech. I think it's the Lyceum Address, where he vigorously condemns mob justice. And I th- I think that would be a good thing for people to think about reading right now. And what's the name of that again? Because I think that'd be really helpful. The Lyceum Address. The Lyceum Address. Okay, that's great. Well, in, in light of that, too, as we think about the Black Lives Matter movement, I had a guest on the show yesterday, the Reverend R- Raleigh Washington, and, and he is somebody who has worked in racial reconciliation in the last uh, 30, 40 years and uh, grew up as a, as a black man in the military and has some really profound experiences in the midst of that. And, and he was commenting on Black Lives Matter. I'd love to read a little phrase for you and get your reaction on that. He said that he does not endorse Black Lives Matter. They hijacked a phrase that appeals to millennials. The organization must be rejected and exposed. It has raised nearly a billion bucks on the hype of young adults globally, and their wealth and their power make them dangerous. And what Raleigh was suggesting is that the heart of the idea, of course, that Black Lives Matter and that there there is a specific need that we need to pay attention to and pay attention to far more thoughtfully maybe than we have ever before in the past about the racial injustice, but at the same time to then align yourselves with a political party like Black Lives Matter may not be the, the most helpful approach because there can be some of this violence that's going on and not, yes, violence, physical violence, but even the pulling down of the statues and the mob mentality that you said, we can have a conversation about getting rid of the statues, but when it's done in a violent kind of mob activity, it doesn't tend to lead to anywhere good. 
No, that's true. I mean, uh, whenever something like this happens, eventually you have a backlash. Uh, but the, you know, so I want just want to say, yeah, we we've had this in my mind silly debate over the phrase "Black Lives Matter," <clears throat> where we want to do this thing we say "Black Lives Matter" and somebody else says "All Lives Matter." And right. you know, it, look, <laughs> it's it's easy it's easy to understand why you would say "Black Lives Matter." Uh, it's easy to understand why people would feel that black lives are devalued. There's no reason to counter a statement like Black Lives Matter. Uh, at the same time, <clears throat> you're right. The organization Black Lives Matter to me is extremely worrisome. Uh, <clears throat> I know enough about things like the the Chinese Cultural Revolution and some of the things that happened in the Soviet Union that I can clearly identify this same sort of dynamic, uh, this same sort of weird uh, struggle session and self-criticism and uh, that you can only be right when you are uh, when you have the correct party line, the correct thinking. Uh, and if you don't have the correct party thinking, uh, then terrible things can happen to mm. you, and those will be justified in the name of the revolution. Uh, and so there's a lot of that going on right now, and I, I hope that that will be rejected. Yeah, I mean, dare I say that God's beautiful kingdom, it, it, it pulsates with love, and love being de- defined as a tender-hearted <laughs> affection for one another that desires the well-being of another. And, and I think on both sides of the conversation, that's where the church can come into the midst of this, is with the heart of love, seek the same kinds of things, but to do so in, in, in that place of a tender-hearted, fierce affection for one another. That's the voice of Hunter Baker. We're going to take a short break, Hunter. When we come back, let's shift the conversation. I'd be curious your thoughts on what happened at this Tulsa rally that President Trump Held And there's some people suggesting the reason why there are very few people in that stadium that day is that the next generation of TikTokers really prevented this from happening. So I want to get your perspective on that next year on Mornings with Carmen. It is just about 10 minutes before the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge today. We're chatting with Hunter Baker about some of the different political events in our country. And Hunter, before we go uh, back to that conversation, I know you're the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences there at Union University. Are you guys going back to -to face-to-face this fall? I know there's a lot of conversation about this around our country. Yes. I mean, that is definitely our plan. Uh, Let me add Lord Willing. Right. Uh, But yes, we intend to be face-to-face. We're busy working through how can we achieve adequate spacing yeah. in our classrooms. My guess is, is that everybody is, is doing that same thing right now. And, you know, your facilities haven't changed, but suddenly you need to find a way to have one to two meters between each right. student. That's a challenge. Right. Well, I certainly miss seeing the the faces of the young people that I teach up here, too. I'm looking forward to it. But there's some thought that the young people certainly had uh, impact on what happened at the Tulsa rally and and maybe some potential impact in social media and the upcoming election. So tell our listeners a little bit if they missed it about what may have happened on TikTok that could have affected the rally, at least according to to some people in, in their analysis of why there were so few people in that Tulsa auditorium. Yeah, well, the <clears throat> so there was a there was a way to request uh, tickets to these rallies, um, and uh, Brad Parscale, who is uh, sort of Trump's digital guy, he made a huge deal about how many people had requested tickets for the rally. You know, I can remember him talking about you know like a million people yeah. had requested tickets for the rally, and he was thrilled. Uh, and so you're expecting. 
this massive uh, barn busting attendance. And of course, that didn't materialize, right? right. You know, the, you, you could see sort of that empty upper tier uh, in the facility. <clears throat> well, the theory is, I don't, I don't know the extent to which this is actually true. Uh, clearly, it, I think it had some effect. But the idea is, is that uh, a lot of sort of socially active people on, online um, requested tickets that they had no intention of using. Uh, and therefore were able to create an empty space in that group that attended. Uh, and, you know, of course, the idea is to make the president look bad uh, and to demoralize him. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that didn't happen to right. some degree. I, right. I, you know, he, he's, he's the type who draws a lot of strength from that sort of thing. So I'm sure it probably did hurt him. Yeah, as one who attended uh, one of the Trump rallies uh, before the virus hit as a media member, and I remember just being down among the rest of the media crew from Fox News and CNN and, and being a part of the environment, love or hate the president, the reality is, is that those rallies have a ton of energy associated with them. And they, they paint sort of this persona uh, of a visual picture of what he portrays to be the silent majority and, and people who are right. not willing to talk about these things. But boy, they come no. out in mass. So it probably was quite a blow overall, regardless of what happened. I think that's right. You know, it's interesting to me that you say silent majority because uh, as I as I kind of watch the run up to this election and I think about the the social discord uh, and the way Trump reacts to it, I think so much of Richard Nixon. Hmm. Uh, Richard Nixon in 1968. Uh, this is the kind of election that he was in, um, and Nixon ran on law and order. Uh, and, you know, vote like your life depended on it. Uh, and, of course, Nixon very narrowly defeated uh, the favorite son in your state, Hubert Humphrey. Uh, and uh, but the question is, is is Donald Trump like Richard Nixon? And, and I don't mean that with uh, criticizing Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon in 1968 was a, was an impressive figure. Mm, yeah. Somebody who had been on national tickets uh, multiple times, uh, somebody who, uh, who had achieved so much in his career and had risen so high so quickly, uh, but who knew how to play the game of politics. I don't know whether Donald Trump can pull it off the way uh, Richard Nixon did in 1968. Yeah, he's, he's just, he seems to be so much more polarizing perhaps than Nixon, but I think it's a very apt comparison in terms of the way he approaches things and the draw that he can have. Well, Hunter, as we look forward to the fall a little bit, we're seeing some of, the, uh, of initial election results coming in, and specifically out of the state of New York that may portend a bit of a trend moving forward. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but did last night somebody who ran very much to the left again, like an AOC and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, won in a, in a primary in the Democratic side of it the, and unseated a 31-year term um, Democratic uh, House member? I had not seen that, but I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, there's the, 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 as we look at the composition of Congress, uh, if we were to look back to the, say, the 1970s, and we were to look at sort of an ideological rating for the different members of, of the House and Senate, uh, many, many more of them, Republican and Democrat, would be clustered toward the center. Uh, that, that would be a very typical thing. Now, uh, because of greater activism, because of social media, uh, because of a, uh, you know, this, this, uh, the ability of of people further to the left or right to primary 
uh, people in the center, uh, you have seen those scores, right? There, there basically is very few people in the center who are elected now. They all have to kind of run left and to the right in order to avoid getting defeated in a primary. Yeah. Uh, and so if you let somebody get to the right or the left of you, a lot of times that means you'll lose. Yeah, and it certainly seems to be, if that does pretend where we're headed over the next couple of years, it just means increasing polarization. And hopefully we can have some sort of centrism of some kind where we learn to respect each other and dialogue again. Amen to that. I mean, and it's it's also worrisome for public policy. Yeah. Uh, the reality is, is that is that uh, public policy that involves significant compromise can often be the best public policy. Yeah, indeed. Well, we got to leave it right there, Hunter, but I appreciate just the perspective and the time and, and uh, bringing this all together in the way that you do. I hope you have a great summer and, and that we can have some face-to-face interactions with our students again this fall. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, we'll take a short break, wrap up our first hour and preview what's coming up in hour two here on Mornings with Carmen. Boy, I sure love guests like that in the first mm-hmm. hour that we can have the Daryl Crouch and Hunter Baker. Just there's so many different troubling things going on. But to, but to have people who are so engaged in the world and yet coming at those questions and conversations and, and, and difficult realities going on, they're coming at them from very much a Christian kingdom perspective. Very so helpful so. on mornings like this. It is. And again, with just life crazy right now, and it's so easy to get polarized. Yes. It's so easy to get drawn into it. it it's hard with without keeping the kingdom of God at our center, right? We are in so much trouble. That's absolutely right. We're going to talk about that very thing next hour too. The second half of next hour, my good friend Justin Jepson is going to be joining us, and we're going to be talking about reflections with young people that we've been a part of here in our lives at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, and and the invitation into God's kingdom is still very compelling to them. But up first next hour, we'll be joined by regular guest Bill English. We'll do some Bible and business together, and Bill and I are going to talk a bit about stewardship in God's kingdom. And there's so many opportunities to give, so many ways to give these days. And and I love some of the online ways and the crowdfunding and all of the stories that come about from that. And so Bill will help us think about how we can use our resources to continue to advance God's kingdom. So stay with us for hour two. Coming up next, I'm Peter Kapsner filling in the day for Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.